0: Every three weeks, Father Jeffrey and I release an hour-long episode regarding an aspect of Orthodox life. However, only patrons get access to the last half hour of our discussion. If you'd like to hear the rest of this conversation, you can head over to pryingpriest.com support. But for now, enjoy the first half of this double feature. Well, we're back for our second double feature, Father Jeffrey, and I'm very excited for this one. Um, This is definitely a hot topic right now, and and I think in a lot of Orthodox circles, this is the large elephant in the room of our current Orthodox life, especially in North America, but around the world as well. Today's topic I've tentatively titled Social Media and Orthodox Conspiracy Theories. Mm. Um, Yeah, I think... I think you know we've been feeling, and I think a lot of people have been feeling the the pull, the 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 polarization, the general weirdness that's going on, especially during this. Uh, we're still in the midst of the COVID pandemic at the time of recording here, and and Orthodox people seem to be getting pulled into a lot of this rhetoric and a lot of this um, a lot of this polarization and taking on narratives and applying them to the Orthodox Church, whereas the Orthodox Church might be better served to stand outside some of this and offer an oasis to people. But, um, yeah, so in in today's episode, I think we're going to talk a bit about social media, uh, the positives and negatives of social media, what you need to know about it as an Orthodox Christian. Um, Also, how does it apply to your actual spiritual discipline, right? Social Mm -hmm. media... Uh, is a part, a very big part of many of our lives, and we need to think about how it affects our spirituality, our prayer life. Um, and then we're going to talk about uh, conspiracy theories um, and and how these ways of thinking have uh, come in and infiltrated some of our uh, Orthodox life. Uh, Father Jeffrey, any kind of opening uh, thoughts before we jump into some of this stuff?
1: Yeah, I, I think you're right that you know, a lot of this has become more evident Of late. You know, the pandemic has had a a role in that. I suppose I wonder a couple of things. One, is it that the pandemic is causing people to kind of veer towards some of these things? Or is it a kind of apocalypse in the sense of, um, you know, not what you usually think of when you hear the word apocalypse, but a kind of revelation and a lifting of the veil on what already was latent or or there. So I, mm. I don't know exactly, you know, where people already pray to these things, it just was sort of hidden. And then the this kind of moment in our society and our history has, has lifted the veil a little bit and, and shown us, you know, kind of what was already happening. And, uh, you know, th- is, is it also the case that, you know, we are unaware even of many of the things that we all fall prey to so you know we've become aware of this but what does that show about what is not already in front of our consciousness right so i that's another thing i i wonder about you know is there a lot of you know self-awareness and self-criticism yet to to come uh, by looking a little bit harder at some of these issues
0: i think it would be worthwhile starting by defining what we mean when we're using the word social media. Uh so um when when I use the term social media, um, I'm referring to a particular, a specifically um like most of the time what I'm referring to is like Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok, uh things of that sort. And I think it'd be worthwhile to point out wait, uh how they function as a business model, right? Because I think a lot of people assume that when they, that they are the users mm-hmm. of, of Facebook, right? So like you got Facebook on your phone, you open it up, you assume that you are the user. You, you are the person that Facebook, uh, you are the customer, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. Even though you're not paying. And this, one of the, Fundamental things that we have to understand when when we talk about social media is that you indeed are not the customer you right. you are you are the fish that the fisherman is trying to catch mm-hmm. right and the fisherman is you know Facebook or, or whatever it might be Facebook owns Instagram uh, and WhatsApp and and a few other things so um, you are actually the thing you are the 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 pig that's being fattened for the feast mm-hmm. right um social media the apps are designed to mine as much of your attention as possible and uh the social media companies keep track of the amount of time that you actually spend on your app. Uh, If you're scrolling and you stop scrolling just to look at something, you're not actually interacting with it. You didn't click it. You didn't like it. It will keep track of the amount of time that you've actually stopped to look at something. And it will build that into this digital portfolio of you, right? And the more that you use it, the more that Facebook actually learns who you are and it builds an accurate model of you. And then it will put things in your feed to uh, slightly manipulate your behavior. Um, I'm, I'm going, I could go off forever on this, Father Jeffrey, uh, which is, I think, a bit of a dynamic shift here. Uh, but would you uh, maybe want to jump in on any on this particular point?
1: Yeah, what, everything you've said is perfectly accurate. And I think, you know, it's probably the case that a lot of people realize some of this anyway. I mean, if you're not paying for something, we, we are all Products of a late modern consumerist capitalist society. I think we we're not naive to the fact that things cost money, and that companies are not benign entities. You know, out to make the world a better place for for no other sake than than the, the sake of the good. Right. I mean, everything has a has a value. Everything has a kind of uh, monetary you know stake in in a capitalist society. So you know some of us have been using the likes of Gmail, you know, for forever now, it seems on, on the internet. And, you know, we're not stupid. We we know that we're not paying for this, right? So someone is paying. So so who is it that's paying, you know, for this? And I think, you know, the idea that we are not the user, but the product, you know, of, of these transactions, uh, we're not oblivious to that. And I think the the justification a lot of people have had certainly I myself who uh, I have different Gmail accounts and that sort of thing has always been well I'm not hiding anything <laughs> you know I I live my life already as though I were you know on a postcard you know not in some sort of top secret letter there's no part of my life I wouldn't mind being you know broadcast I'm okay with that so. So why not just take advantage of some pretty nifty, you know, technologies and, you know, why go and pay for email accounts? Just to take that small example of Gmail, where, whereas I've got this very, very powerful suite of, of applications, calendar and contacts and, and email and everything all provided at no charge. Right. So we're not, on some level we're not oblivious to the fact that mm-hmm. you know everything we're writing and receiving in terms of emails in that platform is known is is, is indexed you know by what we already acknowledge to be the best indexing engine on earth because we use it all the time google uh, as a search engine and you know but but we're okay you know i don't mind if if google kind of is harvesting the data from that and selling it to, to who knows where except that you know, we don't really follow the trail through particularly well. And we don't really think deeply about what that's doing to all kinds of different layers of of transactions and information sharing, you know, through mm-hmm. through the whole economy. And as you rightly point out, you know, it's not even just the very words I put into the search engine. We know Google keep keeping track of that. We know Google can trace us from one site to another. And we, you know, it, I don't think we're naive, you know, to that. But mm-hmm. when it is you know, starting, not starting, but now for some time, shaping the very reality with which we interoperate. You know, every time I go onto the internet now, I'm not getting the same internet you are. Mm. Maybe we are because we're searching for all the exact same things, Father Yuri, but But, in principle, everybody has their own internet. We like to think of it as this kind of, you know, open marketplace of ideas where the best things will bubble to the top you know as they always have in society and and the kind of that the chaff will be sifted you know from from the wheat and, and so forth but it's not the case you know it really isn't there's an I'm not going to be even seeing the same stories or videos or ads especially ads that um that you are or anybody else is because the whole thing is being reshaped around me and and that you know, is a level beyond just simply, oh, somebody's gathering a bit of information about me. You know, the same way we tolerated filling in forms to get a coupon, you know, at a Mm -hmm. booth somewhere in in days gone by. Oh, yes. Uh, Or we use the grocery store loyalty card so they know how many boxes of Quaker oats I buy in a year. And so, you know, we, we take the good with the bad. We get more coupons for Quaker oats that way, right? But uh, the, the whole, the data mining, the the machine learning, the artificial intelligence, and ultimately what has come to be called kind of surveillance capitalism, uh, has layers of, of of complexity and 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 you know without kind of lurching into any of the conspiracy theories, you know ourselves because you know you could sort of create one around this, except that it's, you know, all too true. Um, You know, it is a little bit of a a kind of wake up call for us today, especially as lots of the people who were involved in creating these technologies for the likes of Google and Facebook and Instagram, owned by Facebook, of course, and Twitter, the people behind the, the machine learning and algorithms and everything have come out now and said, we hold up our hands we we didn't realize the consequences of this but this is what's happening and and there's been exposés you know done of that and uh, basically the bottom line is if you are not paying somebody for a service you really have to query where the money is coming from and whether you are not just simply a product, as you've said, you know, you're, you're not the mm-hmm. user, the consumer here, the, the user or the consumer of your use of, of Facebook or Google are the people paying for the advertising. And they are getting an awful lot of tailored, customized data on you and every other user of that so-called free service.
0: Yeah. Thank you for bringing up that first thing you did about, um, that attitude of, well, I know that they're recording some of that stuff and I'm okay with it. Right. I, I think that's where I was for a long time. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, yeah, sure. Like I type something in, they keep it. I really got nothing to hide. So sure. Like I, I get a lot of, uh, I get a lot of value from this product, right. From Facebook or whatever it is, get a lot of value from it. It keeps me connected. They keep some of the stuff. All right. Like I'm not happy about that, but you know, at least I get the value from the product. It it outweighs the cons, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's where I was for a long time. One of the things that really changed my mind was learning uh, the techniques that these apps use to subtly and unconsciously change your behavior. Uh, that, to me, was uh, a major line, especially thinking about trying to live an orthodox life, um, th- this idea that um, the, the, they have uh, engineers uh, working, the top engineers in the world working to figure out ways to keep you basically your eyes on the screen as, as long as possible. And they call it uh, in uh, Tristan Harris, who is the uh, director of the uh, Center for Humane Technology, that they call it the race to the bottom of the brainstem.
1: Hmm.
0: Right, the the way that they uh, design these technologies, because they're trying to k- tap into the most, uh, you know, what what people sometimes call the lizard brain, <laughs> um, that yeah. like that that primordial drives of your humanity in an unconscious way to then change your behavior. Right. So so Facebook exists to change your behavior um not just to show you ads to put you in the right emotional state to engage to then see particular ads that are designed specifically for you and that to me was it it, it to me it sounds so diabolical it sounds so like evil um to be purposely and uncon- trying to unconsciously change uh others behavior
1: well the interaction between you know, say advertising as a thing, which is, I mean, it is a dominant aspect of our capitalist culture, obviously, Mm -hmm. to get people to shift from one product to another, right? Mm -hmm. And the interaction between advertising and this, you know, psychology or human sciences, you know, has been there from the beginning. I mean, famous examples from, you know, early days of film and television about putting subliminal um, images into things, which would cause people to kind of go and, and crave you know, soda or, you know, snacks during a, a film and things like that. I mean, we, we laugh about it now. Um, and maybe it seems just too obvious a thing, but we also, I think, just make this general human assumption that, well, isn't it funny there are human beings that would be susceptible to that? Good thing I'm not, right? Good mm-hmm. thing I'm aware of myself. I'm in full control of my behaviors. You know, we make an assumption that most of what we do in our life is driven by conscious thought, right? That, you know, we wake up in the morning and that every action during the day, even we don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, but every action is a deliberate action is, is the, our base assumption. Social psychologists will tell you that even in the most intelligent, you know, thoughtful, reflective human being, only about five percent of what you ever do in your life is driven by a conscious thought everything else is Mm. habitual everything else is done by uh ways that your your heart and and body have been conscripted to some purpose to some end and we're not even aware of that that's the point of saying that 95 percent of it isn't thoughtful isn't deliberate and what does that mean it means advertisers Have always had access to, you know, as you've said, these kind of deep parts of us. And they've been putting billions upon billions of dollars into working out how they can conscript us to those things. I mean, governments knew this long before, you know, how is it that at the time of a war, it's possible to mobilize a population to go and fight and kill an enemy, right? Mm -hmm. But you do it through, you know, years upon years of you know, symbols and emblems and, and storytelling and, you know, things like pledges of allegiance and flags and, and so forth in order to build up You know something which you're not even conscious of anymore—a kind of nationalist spirit, and so forth. And you know, in a good government, that can be for good ends. You can mobilize people to fight injustice, for example, uh, or to basically follow the law. You know, and 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 we do this, you know, across human societies in so many different ways. Well, advertisers capitalist, you know, organizations, companies, global uh, firms have, have been doing this themselves. And we don't realize even the the layers at which this has affected us, you know, what, how it is that we have chosen to buy certain products, because of the associations that, that those have, or why we have even chosen to live our lives the way we do, you know, uh, in one of the things that is almost a given in our society is that around the age 25 30 you indenture yourself to a mortgage and to to banks and you live the rest of your working life trying to pay that off just for a place to live and so forth i mean Mm. if we just question some of the fundamental assumptions we make in our life it's some you know some sort of some, some kind of perspective or outside of the box of all of that then we we might realize just how ridiculous some of the things we do are but but we have been subtly corrupted and conscripted to all kinds of things and as i say 95% of what we do in a given day is done without deliberate thought and therefore we are prey to to all these kinds of things and and our whole habitual way of living our lives is framed and shaped by other purposes than the ones we consciously think of we might you know in this context here be thinking our main context, our main story, the main purpose of our lives is to be Christians, to serve the kingdom of God. But even if every single waking thought of our lives was that, that's 5% of our life. Where is the rest of our life? Where where have we really dedicated ourselves? What is the story we're really living is the kind of ultimate question here.
0: Yeah. And Sorry to 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 give us a little bit of a plug here. We a lot of advertisers advertise through podcasting, right? And our show is not necessarily big enough yet for advertisers to come knocking and say, "Hey, can we advertise?" Though I have received emails from uh, certain organizations uh, to like podcasting things that want us to join their um, advertising model, things like that. Uh, And and because (laughs) I hate ads so much, um, from the beginning we've decided to make this an ad-free podcast, uh, which means we're only supported by patrons. So, you know, go and become a patron if you want to support the show. Uh, But uh, one thing that I actually do uh, on TV, so this isn't social media, but um, I I mute commercials if I'm watching a football game and the commercials come on, I just mute them. Uh, And then I also... um, YouTube is an interesting one because YouTube isn't... It, depending on how you use YouTube, it could be so social media esque. Uh, they do keep track of your data, but uh, I pay for a YouTube subscription so that I, I never see any advertisements. Um, I don't know. I I I, I really think that uh, the the big problem that I have with social media is the advertisement model that they follow. Right? Um, if personally, I'm not on. Social media, but if there was perhaps a, let's say, a paid for version of Facebook where you paid $20 a month to get access to Facebook and to begin to connect with friends and to use their platform, that would actually be tempting to me. Whereas right now, I wouldn't touch Facebook with a 10 foot pole.
1: Yeah. The, the bottom line is there's always a consumer, right? There's always somebody yeah. paying the piper. And if you are not paying, you know that someone else is and therefore you are likely the product or part of you're bundled into the product somehow uh, or another and uh, you know we need to be questioning you know that more i mean even your your reference to you know professional sports and so forth isn't it marvelous that you know, for almost nothing and part of subscriptions to other things you know we have access to a whole range of of entertainment and, and so forth right uh, but even when you're muting commercials you know, during breaks in play, which a big part of North American sports. I know, I mean, a, a one hour game becomes three hours, right? Because of yep, all the yep. advertising, um, you know, you're still being subtly bombarded by yes, advertising yeah. throughout. The players' mm-hmm. jerseys have advertising on them. All around the hoarding in the stadium is advertising. Mm-hmm. Every time someone gets interviewed, you can be sure there's some kind of advertising <laughs> behind them and mm-hmm. and so forth. And the players are drinking from branded drinks and yep. endorsing branded products and and some of that we're not even seeing and that's the part that really scares me because you and I can talk about this in at a some sort of Level of removal outside of the box. We've thought about it. We've talked about it before. And maybe to some extent in our own lives, we're controlling it. You mentioned about subscribing to to YouTube as a deliberate action and and promoting maybe something as an alternative to Facebook if there were such a thing where you could pay for that. But what about all the levels at which 95% of our lives are being lived? without any kind of conscious awareness and how are we not even i mean that's the point about things outside of the box you can't see them right because that's right. why they're outside the box so we need almost consciously and constantly to be checking and and rechecking and part of you know the christian life is about repentance right it's about changing our minds and we need to be knowledgeable about where the content of our minds is coming from, where, where, you know, you know, St. Paul says be renewed by the, the transforming of your mind. So, so wh- what are the things that are deforming us constantly? We live in a society where the deformation of the mind is the very modus operandi of our society, right? that is what we we live in in this time and place and so if we are all about the renewal of our minds then we need to be aware of that deformation so that there can be a kind of counterformation and ultimately i mean the whole point as you say of the podcast that we do is that liturgy is the counterformation to all of that right that the conscious living and enacting the kingdom of god should you know begin to work at all those layers that the advertisers have been working at for so long. You know, we're, we need to be as savvy in our liturgizing as they are in their advertising and, in all of the other aspects of consumer capitalist culture. And, um, and, but we need, it it's a, needs a constant effort. It's not like, oh, I realize today that'll change everything. I'll be, you know, I'll be fine from now on. It's not like that at all. Every moment of every day, we have to be aware. And even assumption, assumptions you've made before or choices you've made before need to be checked and rechecked. What are what are we paying for and and therefore, you know, possibly getting access to something a little bit more open and free? It doesn't mean that, you know, free is necessarily bad. It was a really good example of something you might even put within the broad category of social media insofar as it's uh, sourced in a kind of uh, widely and uh, not based on you know kind of one particular you know paid for point of view and that's Wikipedia right which from the beginning uh, and almost from the beginning of of the World Wide Web I mean it goes back you know quite a ways but was an open project and I mean, the point here is that if you go to a Wikipedia page on a particular subject and somebody else goes to a Wikipedia page on a particular subject, they're seeing the exact same thing. There is You
0: have a common base of facts to work from.
1: Exactly. There's no tailoring of, oh, well, that's Father Jeffrey. He, you know, he's interested in this, that, or the other thing. We'll make sure that Wikipedia page wraps around him in a way that suits him. That, that kind of confirms his biases or or, or builds on the tacit knowledge he has or what have you. No, no, it's, I mean, for all of its potential flaws, and there are moments in time when, you know, edits happen and they, before they get corrected, that you, know, you have to be careful and be mindful of, of, how, of how it's kind of crowdsourced and everything. But as a source of global information, a, a source of information in places where there's, you know, totalitarian dictatorships and control over information and disinformation, to capitalist societies where there's, you know, a similar kind of totalitarianism, but just, you know, we're not aware of it because it's driven by consumer capitalism, but we see the same thing, you know, and the information can be at least, as you say, a shared set of information. We can agree on some facts and therefore build a kind of level of discussion, you know, on that. So there's, I mean, I don't know, we don't call that social media in the same sense because it doesn't follow these algorithms and so forth, but it's a it's a product that works on the internet and it's free and so uh, and it's kept free because of donations right so the, i mean there i suppose that's where the it, it would be worthwhile for us to support things like that and, yes, and keep yeah. information free and open in that way but it's for most people it ends up being free in the same way that the google search engine is free but not free of
0: all these kinds right. of things it, it doesn't follow that advertisement model right yeah absolutely not um, Before we move on to the next section uh, talking about the – well, the next thing we're going to talk about is how uh, social media and conspiracy theories are related, and then we'll end off on just sort of conspiracy theories in general. But uh, I want to offer a couple of thoughts and, and like, maybe tangible things that our listeners could do. Um, Personally, uh, if I had my druthers, uh, I would have everyone listening delete all their social media right now. Um, But, of course, I can't do that. Uh, But – um one thing that th- that I would recommend is to use social media to never use social media on your smartphone if you 're going to use facebook if you 're going to use Instagram, only use it on a desktop computer or 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 your laptop um, th- th- That is one level of friction that actually helps you um, not use it uh, especially because it 's the phone apps that are that are the most fine-tuned to subtly change your behavior though those that's the battleground is specifically the smartphone app um so yeah use it use it on on the computer if you have to use it at all
1: yeah and, and just to back that up entirely i mean the, when you use a desktop or a laptop computer it's usually a, a task oriented thing you know, you've sat down to do something right to to, to, yeah. to to get involved in a project, to complete a task, that sort of thing. And so it, that's the nature. If you're going to use something like, you know, YouTube or Facebook or, or Twitter, you know, think of it as that. Oh, I'm going to post information about an event and, it, and it's a discrete thing. It's, it's, it's a task. It's, it's about promoting. It's about advertising. You're doing the advertising in this case, you're in control of that. Whereas, the idea of having the app with you, not only are you then giving the companies access to your location information in something like a smartphone, right? Oh, that person is not only interested in X, they're interested in it when they are in location A, right? And in in, in proximity to these other things. And so we'll make sure that the next time they're there, they're being provided with that information in spades, right? Um, But also it's the fact that it's so ubiquitous. It's right there with you and you're filling in your time. You're standing in line. You're not doing a task driven activity, which has a beginning, a middle and an end. You're just browsing. You're just Mm -hmm you know, fishing and, and you're hanging out all day, just waiting for something to come along. And so you're in this kind of weird, psychologically open place where you're ready for anything, as opposed to, no, I'm going to get in there and get out, do a kind of operation um, and, and finish with that. So I, I agree with that advice. I think it would it would shift the, the goalposts somewhat by, by just limiting it to uh, desktop or laptop browsing. Yeah.
0: The, the next rule that I've heard uh, used in in other podcasts on the topic is the, the foyer rule. Uh, the, the idea of when you come home, put your phone in a place, preferably in a drawer where it can't be seen, and leave it there. When you're at home, don't have it in your pocket. Don't walk around your house or your condo or your apartment with it. Um, because as soon as you have that little second of boredom, you're going to take it out and you're going to use it, right? So you need you need to create these um, areas of friction when it comes to some of this technology, mm. especially because they're they um, your phone is constantly trying to remind you that it exists, right? It it makes beeps, it, uh, it vibrates, it says, "Look at me, look at me," right? And and uh, and this leads, I guess, to another uh, recommendation that I have, which is turn off all notifications. And if you have to have some on, you can have, you know, your phone vibrate when certain people call or when, uh, you know, I, so personally on my phone, Father Jeffrey, if you text me, I don't get notified. I'm very, very sorry about that. (laughs) Uh, But but, um, if, if my wife texts me, I get a, a, a small vibration. And if one of my friends texts me, I get a small vibration that, and then phone calls. I also, my phone will ring for phone calls. That is it. There's no other sound um those sounds are they're the Pavlovian bells mm. uh they're that's straight up what they are they they train you um they train you uh, in that deep psychological way we were talking about earlier
1: and we just don't like thinking of ourselves as Pavlov's dogs right I mean that's what but, we are but it, and so we're so much better than that we're so much more aware than that we assume but but we're not. I mean, it is, it is really, really sad. If you could get a level of abstraction from all of this and notice our behaviors on an ongoing basis, you know, you'd be shaking your head <laughs> at what goes on. Yeah. And yet, you know, so here we are. So let's, let's become, you know, this is an encouragement to be more uh, open-minded and rational and deliberate. I mean, these are all good things, right? And, right. you know, we often talk about what it is that you know, puts us in the image and likeness of God. And surely it has to be something about freedom, right? Something about the choice of how we live our lives. And to know that so much of what we do is, is already conscripted to other purposes, without us even being aware of it on any kind of ongoing basis, it's really sad. And it's, it's totally antithetical to our faith.
0: I have a couple more, uh, Father Jeffrey, uh, uh, practical tools, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, so one of them is, is okay, if you log on to social media more than three times in a day, that might be time to think about the fact that you are using it too much, right? Um, I, I think that three times a day... Um, rule is useful uh it gives a bit of a litmus test um but also it's also if you use it three times of the day of of day absent mindedly that's not a good thing either mm-hmm. right um so what i would recommend is um bundling right so say okay every day at 10 a.m you know i have finished my morning coffee i've done a bit of work i have a little bit of a morning break i am going to spend um 15 minutes looking at my social media account uh, on a computer, not on my phone, and then I'm going to spend 15 minutes uh, reading up on, let's say, three uh, news sources that I trust without clicking any of the other links that take you off to who knows where, right? And then that's it. And you don't look at social media again until the next time that you've predetermined that you will watch it. I guess what I'm trying to say is outsourcing the decision to look at social media and to make it an actual conscious decision. And you have to do that not in the moment. If we're making these decisions in the moment, we are going to lose. That's right, because we're being
1: influenced in all these subtle ways that we're not even aware of. So. Yeah, these are very, very practical and and, and good pieces of, of advice. And there are probably reasons that people need to be on some of these platforms. Um, the, the, uh, we join groups, right? And they, the first thing they say is, well, you know, we, we share information with members in our group with our Facebook page, right? So that's the only way we're going to give you information about when our next meeting is or whatever. We're not going to email, yeah. we're not going to send you anything in the post. It, so you're Stuck, you know it might be a parents' group at a school that you're really important you know involved in or it might be a charity uh, of some kind, and so you know at some level or another, we have to engage with these things if if you're not part of groups like that, so much the better you know get away from it. You and I are in a position where we need to be aware to some extent what's going on because our parishioners and the people we're trying to minister to yeah. and 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 care for are being you know drawn into that, and I would probably. Be at a real disadvantage if I were not aware of some of the things that people are being exposed to. And we're going to go on, I'm sure, and talk about uh, in the course of this or other podcasts, you know, the kinds of things Orthodox are hearing on a regular basis that are being promoted through these things. So I need to be at least to some extent aware of that. But the idea of Me being very deliberate about going in at a particular time, looking and then leaving, you know, completely aware of the stopping, the starting and stopping of that, of that operation is really important.
0: Yeah. So to finish off our section on specifically social media, um, I know I could just go on and on and on. But uh, to finish off our section on social media, I want to offer three resources that listeners can go to, Uh, they can listen to podcasts, they can read books, three resources. Um, One is, uh, the first one I'll mention is a book by Cal Newport called Digital Minimalism. So that's Cal Newport Digital Minimalism. And he offers techniques on how to, uh, the first stage is sort of cutting back, much like we Orthodox do in, in Lent, we cut things out of our life. But then we actually have to fill that with something good. So uh, actually doing uh, maybe Lent is uh, coming up. This episode is being released, I think, in mid-January. So Lent will be coming up in a couple of months. Maybe that's a time to re digital minimalism in anticipation, cut things back. And then after uh, Easter to reintroduce technologies um, in a very intentional way way. So yeah, Cal Newport's digital minimalism is a very useful book. There's a podcast called Your Undivided Attention. Um I'm actually gonna read the blurb here. I think it'd be worth people hearing this blurb. So your undivided attention in this podcast from the Center uh, for Humane Technology, co-hosts Tristan Harris and Aza Raskin expose how social media's race for attention manipulates our choices, breaks down truth, and destabilizes our real-world communities. Tristan and Aza also explore solutions, what it means to become sophisticated about human nature by interviewing anthropologists, researchers, cultural and faith-based leaders, activists, and experts on everything from conspiracy theories to existential global threats. So, uh, that's a good podcast. Of course, listen to our podcast mostly, but if you have to listen to a second one, (laughs) make it The Prying Priest, my other podcast. But if you have to listen to a third one, then you can listen to Your Undivided Attention. Um, And the third book uh, is by Jaron Lanier 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts Right Now. Um, I will actually discuss with Father Jeffrey the 10 reasons that he gives uh, in the Patreon episode. So, if you want to hear our take on that book, you can head over to. um, the patreon uh account but i think father jeffrey we can transition maybe to more of the conspiracy theory uh side of things but maybe doing a pivot from the social media and how those things are related uh so do you want to take it from here
1: well i mean this is an enormous area right you know uh, yeah. So conspiracy theories have been around forever. So we can't say that uh, this is necessarily a product of social media. So we're trying to make a connection here. It's not that you know because of YouTube or because of Facebook there are conspiracy theories. It may not even be that they're that much more prevalent you know today than in other times in history. I mean, you can certainly point to times where whole populations have been taken with conspiracies, and that's led to dreadful things. I mean. Nazi Germany had no Facebook or YouTube. I can tell you that, mm-hmm. and yet, you know, look at what happened in terms of a population that got so conscripted in their way of thinking uh, to, you know, blaming a, a particular. Group within society for all of their ills, and there were there were ills, you know. This Germany in the 1920s and 1930s was not a very happy place to be. But they they made the Jews and others like gypsies and so forth scapegoats for everything that went wrong. So there was a massive conspiracy theory on a massive scale, and it led to the absolutely dreadful, horrendous consequences of, of the Holocaust and the war, which cost tens upon tens of millions of lives. So it's not that social media is to blame for conspiracy theories. It's just that the social media make it really easy for them to, to pass on and to, to kind of take hold today. I mean, for all the reasons we already talked about in terms of the narrowing of uh you know focus on topics or you know facts that are shaped around particular interests and so forth you can just imagine that the 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 bubble of information that you live in becomes narrower and narrower and therefore it becomes really quite straightforward for conspiracy theories to take hold in in that kind of environment so people who are otherwise thinking of themselves as relatively broad minded rational thinking you know open to reading whatever but because without them even being aware of the the range of facts and perspectives that they have access to has been so narrowed that it becomes really easy for them to to kind of fall into the trap of you know finding simplistic explanations for things that have gone wrong so if the economy is collapsing or there's a global pandemic or you know there's this that or the other thing or society is unraveling in ways that you don't like then because you're only seeing that one perspective all the time and and more and more of that perspective as you click on different articles and you choose different things and your your activity online is being tracked and because they want to sell to you, they're they're giving you more of the thing that you like, then you're only going to confirm more and more the biases that you've already kind of tended towards. So I would say probably the con- contribution of social media is that what used to take generations to form, you know, Nazi Germany didn't come out of nowhere. It, you know, the, 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 the kind of sentiment of German nationalism and Aryan supremacy and so forth was, was being forged, you know, really with the formation of the German state in the late 1800s, right? So over a couple of generations, anyway, uh, you know, fifty, sixty years it took to, to kind of shape the, the perspectives that led to the Holocaust. But you know, that can happen in a double quick time now. With uh, you know, mm. in a few weeks, uh, an idea can take hold. You know, so something like QAnon, which has come out of you know nowhere practically, is now believed apparently by you know at least to some extent, forty percent of uh, of people in the United. States and you think you know what on earth is going on here and it and it's this shaping of reality that happens through the the, the interim or through the through the medium of, of the internet that that is really so uh pervasive and allows for these things to catch hold pretty quickly
0: yeah one of the problems that I see is this idea because people spend a lot of time on social media and that's where they actually interact with a lot of these ideas, right? People will repost articles, you click on the article and you go down a rabbit hole and uh, Facebook will actually suggest groups for you to participate in, right? Uh, Based on the next more intense thing that that it thinks that you will want to do. Uh, You're never hardcore enough for the social media algorithms. It always feeds you that next step towards something. And if you keep going down that rabbit hole and you're not aware of how you're using this product, or how you're being used by this product, sorry. Um, then you can end up down that those rabbit holes. Uh, sorry, now I went down a rabbit hole and forgot my question. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, but-
1: just to back that up, we, we assume that we're being given open information, right? That every time we right, open, that, that's right. That that. Facebook page or your Facebook account that we're just seeing everything and we're choosing wisely amongst the things that we're seeing. But as we've said before, you're only seeing what's been tailored for you. You're not seeing the other perspectives. And so it's only going to, as you say, go to that next level of, of extreme because, well, that's going to, be more effective for the people who are ultimately paying the piper here, because they want to lead you to that state of consciousness where you're going to be more willing to to kind of act, and and that usually means purchasing, you know, something at some stage in in your life. And so, yeah, it's it's, it's just over over and over, it's emphasizing and confirming that which you've already started with that day. And and without even being aware of it, you're not having access to the full range of perspectives. You have to deliberately go outside of that to, to find it. But nobody does that. I mean, I don't hear very many people today saying, you know, I've come to believe in this QAnon thing or whatever. And I was down at the library doing some research on the subject, <laughs> right? right? They're not doing that. They're they're. I opened my if they're honest i opened youtube or i opened facebook and that's all i saw well of course it is because that's what you were searching for that's what you you went and you clicked on last yeah. time and um it's quite scary I, you know if, if yeah. you accidentally click on something on facebook you know this happens because suddenly yep. you're presented with other things and you think well i'm not
0: interested in that so i right. had somebody tell me like to my face in all seriousness that there's no longer anything useful you can find in a book
1: mm-hmm.
0: right and- <laughs> I was floored. And I said, what about a dictionary? <laughs> um, I was floored. But that, that's exactly that that idea that um, it, this person was disparaging honest research. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, yeah, anyway, part of the
1: problem uh, is the first thing that gets sidelined in any of these things um, is, you know, authority, um, academia, uh, you know, anything like this, right? Because, you know, there there are basically three kind of aspects to what makes for a conspiracy theory, right? Sort of uh, uh, the the appeal almost of what, you know, conspiracism is all about, right? Um, The first is the kind of making sense out of a world that is really confusing and normal analysis done on the basis of, of research or, or of the way institutions work over long periods of time, you know, like the government of Canada is an institution, right? And so rather than thinking of, of the kind of ongoing aspect of continuity that that provides, regardless of political stripe, who's prime minister, whatever, there's a kind of continuity to Canada there, right? But mm-hmm. but that doesn't explain what's going on. So therefore, we have to think of some sort of cabal or some sort of conspiracy, you know, led by, you know, the current occupants of, of political power, or whatever. So that's one appeal of it. Another is the way the world gets kind of sharply divided into the good and the bad, the 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 light and the dark, you know, the kind of Zoroastrian, you know, uh, dualism of the world, and and the, for those who are prone to these conspiracy ways of thinking, it's you know the masses, the, the the mainstream media, to give one of the phrases, are are the brainwashed, you know, herd, and only the con- con- conspiracists, um, you know, kind of know the the real truth. So that's the third aspect to this: that it it is it's. It's a kind of secret knowledge in a way. It's a form of gnosticism, ultimately, yeah, exactly. right? And and so, therefore, how could it be in a book? How could it be? How could it be the librarian at the you know the library on the corner who has control over what books go on on the shelves or whatever? And sort of and worse yet, you know, organizes them into categories and you know so predetermines you know hierarchies and everything. It's all very very conspiratorial, right? So we can't trust the books. We can't trust the authorities. Can't trust the scientists or the, the, the people who are are learned in any particular field. Clearly, there's this secret knowledge that, you know, is about the, the, the light forces that, you know, very few people know about and, and the, they they're they're the ones that are going to make sense of the world, and so yeah, you're driven to, to kind of looking to weird corners, you know, um, only on this channel on the, on the internet, and maybe it's even in, in the sort of secret web. It's not even in the in the light that you can um, you know have access to this. So all I mean, it, it's all self confirming too, because as soon as you start to fall into that trap, where can you even begin to to counteract that? It's certainly not going to be well, you know. 99 out of 100 scientists say this well that's because they've bought into the conspiracy right they bought into the brainwashing and the one is gonna the fact that there's only one out of 100 is actually more proof that it's true right it's so accurate. so the very the levers of what you would normally use to to counteract you know uh, contrary to fact narratives, let's say, right? You know, the earth is flat <laughs> is a big one. And again, as you wouldn't believe the percentage of people who actually kind of subscribe to that. So the earth is flat. So you no, know, no amount of, you know, astronomy or photographs from space or, or whatever, the more experts you actually line up to disprove that contrary to fact narrative that the earth is flat, the more the people are confirmed in their belief, because you are just, you're proving their point that you know you're just as brainwashed as all these so-called experts you're part of the conspiracy so there yeah. is no way of engaging you know with with some of this because those the, the very appeals of the thing in the first place are the things that make it very resistant to any kind of you know rational engagement at all so
0: i think yeah a useful tool here would be to investigate your own beliefs and to and to say like do are my beliefs do they have the ability to be falsified hmm right? And to really reflect on that, on what we believe about the world. And and it, am I open to the fact, like, or sorry, I guess the question would be, what would it take for you to acknowledge that you were wrong about this? Mm-hmm. Right? And, and I think you need to be able to answer that. And if you can't answer that, I don't know, it takes it takes reflection. I, I remembered what I wanted to say earlier, Father Jeffrey, and that was about... Um, the fact that because social media sort of hugs around you as, as an individual person, right, um, and you know when I log on to Facebook, I am not seeing uh, Facebook is designed uh, when I'm on it to keep me on it not to keep you. So if you, Father Jeffrey, logged onto my Facebook account and started scrolling, you would actually be bored pretty quick mm-hmm. um, because it's just not, uh, it doesn't have the same psychological tr- triggers, right? There's the only that- so
1: much stuff I need to know about the Pittsburgh Steelers, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, all you need to know is that they're having a rough time. Um, actually, I don't know. It's this, we're recording this a month earlier, so maybe they've turned things around. Uh, so I guess, uh, yeah. So, so one of the things that I think is really, really important to understand is that, and this is going to sound weird, there are no such thing as facts anymore, right? When when you're having a conversation with somebody about the state of the world, you are no longer able to point to a common reality Mm -hmm. together. That is very important to understand. The, The What the world is, there's no longer any common understanding. Uh, Maybe a little bit if you're in the same echo chambers as certain people. But if you're trying to have a conversation with somebody you disagree with, you cannot, you are not sharing, you're not living in the same world. You're arguing about things that don't connect to the other side at all.
1: You're absolutely right. I mean, there's this whole rise of what they've called fact checking now, um, and you, there's very few political speeches, for example, that will go by without some kind of article being written. You know, fact checking them from, and this is of, of all politicians, right? And because it's very rare for anybody to get up and speak in public and not say something that needs fact checked in that way, right? But um, you know, certainly we all know the kinds of figures that kind of prompted this process, right. Of, of, of creating fact checking, but to my knowledge, not a single person has ever been influenced by a fact checking process. Right. Right. Uh, They just, it, it only confirms the thought. So if let's, for example, choose completely at random, Donald Trump, right? Who has been fact-checked a fair bit over his presidency and so forth. And, you know, I, to my knowledge, I, no one has ever come to me and and said, do you know, I was kind of, I found him appealing. I found some of his ideas interesting uh, and I kind of liked where he was going with some things. But then I read this article that showed that, you know, he had not told the truth about, x mm-hmm. y or z you know and as a consequence i'm rethinking my position here i mean that just doesn't happen the facts yeah. checking is not a process that anybody is persuaded by so mm-hmm. so in engaging with anybody who is prone to these kinds of conspiracy ways of, of thinking everything being armed with facts is not particularly you know helpful you can you can maybe get people to uh ask questions. I think that's kind of where you were getting it. So what would it be that you would need to do or find in order to kind of question, you know, your view on that? Get people to ask questions, to start a kind of critical thinking, you know, process, encourage the, the very best of human behavior, right? If we said human behavior at its best is about free choice of the good, right? About in, in in from our perspective which again you can't fact check but it is about you know following the, the the path of Jesus Christ in his life death and resurrection ascension and and bringing about the kingdom of god for us that is the the whole point of this and we want people ultimately to be in a frame of mind to choose that good that as their 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 telos in in life then they need to be questioning other telos Uh, ends to their life, other purposes, other stories that that they're part of. And so I think rather than coming armed with, as you say, the kind of common set of facts we can all agree on, which we can't, it's it's more about going through an encouragement to question, to ask deep questions you know soul searching questions about you know what it is that led to these points of view and you know how it is we're we're being framed to to think in in certain ways and and to you know somehow over a period of time, it's not going to happen in one conversation, just get people to maybe shift the ground on which they're standing a little bit, or at least be, be open to, to being aware that there are, there is other ground, you know, out there. You know, I mentioned before Wikipedia, I, I think, you know, we, we sell it short a lot. You know, I think as, as teachers, especially, you know, I, I teach at university, but I know my kids in, in high school as well. One of the first things every project description comes with is don't use Wikipedia for this. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And I I, I bristle at that because I think, you know, actually it's one of the very few places. Now, the people who are deep into conspiracy theories don't go to Wikipedia because it's part of the problem, right? It's part of the conspiracy, I'm sure. But the fact that it is so widely sourced as a place of information, I mean, it has value. Obviously, it's not the, you know, expert in, you know, the history of Mesopotamia who, you know, who has studied you know through archaeology and historical documents and everything and over a period of an 80 year career formulated this really beautifully crafted encyclopedia article you know that you might find in britannica or some other some other place but as a source of information that could maybe be the basis on which we could agree some facts it there's nothing else like it right because where the one person writing an article for britannica or two or three or whatever the experts the the people who are prey to you know much easier you know f- fodder for the for for con- for conspiracy theories because it's only a few people but if you've got 10,000 people writing the article in Mesopotamia uh, maybe you could get some common ground and so I, I think the dismissal as a source of information of wikipedia as though it were somehow second best to you know, the experts writing articles on subjects is maybe a little uh, foolhardy and hasty. Where you know, teachers maybe at even at that level, you know, starting in elementary school and secondary school, maybe we need to be saying why this has a place in our society. Where we, where are the f- places we can meet together, even if you come from completely different points of view, where some measure of facts might be able to be agreed before we can kind of move forward. Because otherwise. You know, you are, you're, you're, you have nothing to work from. You know, his, history or politics or, you know, every aspect of, of our coming together as, as a society depends on shared information and where that's not present you know, the battle is lost before it's even begun. And so, you know, maybe there is a place for something like Wikipedia in the mix of all of that. I'm not saying throw out the Britannicas or, or the other venerable encyclopedias. Certainly don't throw out libraries and books. I think now more than ever, we need to be investing in them. If, if I were in power uh, and it had, you know, levers of Budgetary control uh, at my disposal, I would be putting more, not less, money into those kinds of institutions, into schooling, into libraries, into places where, you know, that the facts can be built up in a way that we can actually move forward together. But for most of these people, it's not about the facts; it's about, you know, the ways of thinking that have been framed by, you know, completely other uh, information than the ones that we would agree normally uh, on as
0: facts. One of the things that frustrates me um, is that uh this idea, yes, obviously conspiracy theories existed long before social media did. Uh social media has certainly exasperated certain aspects of of this aspect of human life. But this idea of the fear of being controlled, but then using social media as like the main platform where you receive all this information and where you engage with other um, people within that community. Uh, it, it's mind-boggling to me because social media is transparently trying to control you. But that is, why is that, how how can that possibly be the platform where a lot of this so, uh, conspiracy theory stuff, which uh, has to do a lot with not being controlled by higher powers, um, that relationship, it, that, it, that baffles me.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is just weird. Um, and, th- and there is, kind of love-hate relationship between some of the groups, uh, that are, you know, falling prey to various forms of, um, conspiracist ideation, um, you know, that they have, you know, so for example, one of the things that they seem to re- uh, revel in is when they get banned, you know, by the likes of Twitter or whatever, right. or they have to form alternate, you know, Blessed platforms. are you and men
0: shall persecute you. Exactly, exactly.
1: If that's part of that kind of confirmation, you know, process, the more persecuted you are, uh, the more, you know, sidelined you potentially are by by big entities uh, or by mass media or, or whatever, then, then the more confirmed you are in, in the kind of the truth of, of, of what you're claiming. But but you're right. It's uh, the, There's a lack of an awareness of where these things came from in the first place. How did people first get exposed to these ideas, even if they're questioning at some level Twitter or Facebook or whatever, because you know during the election, they were shutting down these or those accounts um you know so they are now suspect they're part of the whole problem right so it's not just msnbc and cnn it's you know twitter as well as part of the problem but where did you come across these ideas is maybe one of the questions that we ask people you know so how how did you get exposed to this in the first place what what led you to be so sure about you know these things um you know what wh- who do you trust for information. I mean, these are reasonable questions. They're not necessarily even offensive questions, and they can maybe lead to a productive discussion on some level. As I say, it's not going to lead to a 10-minute conversation where suddenly, you know, you're right, the world is round, or you're right, there isn't some secret cabal of Jews who are running every powerful institution in the world, or maybe the pandemic wasn't, you know, deliberately released in order to control us. And maybe Bill Gates is not actually injecting microchips into everybody through the vaccine and achieving his nefarious ends or whatever the story is, you know, they're not going to end that thinking in 10 minutes. But if they if they go away from their conversation with you, a little bit more primed to doubt sources of information uh to question to to seek out alternative ways of thinking then you've done a little bit of your job there and if they've they've if, especially if they felt a little level of empathy you know at some some level uh which i think it, it shouldn't be too hard you know because I mean, the, the the people who are prey to this especially are psychologically troubled right so we should be as Christians. Caring in the first uh, should be our first stance towards anybody ever uh, is to care, and so if we can, on the basis of a kind of empathetic, sympathetic relationship with with other human beings, invite them into a, a process of checking, you know, just themselves, you know, and not it's not about giving them alternative facts because they're not ready to hear those, and and clearly anything you say along that nature is only going to confirm what they already believe because these things are self-fulfilling prophecies right so the, if if their belief is that 99% of the world is is has been brainwashed you're only going to convince them the more that that is the case by presenting all of the view of reality that you have because Clearly, they're right. Ninety-nine percent of the world has been brainwashed, mm-hmm. right? So, so there is no way you can engage at that level. But as I say, from a point of view of empathy, if you can sort of get them to question some of where they receive this information, or at least think about it, consider alternative sources of information, widen their perspective. You know, um, of course, they're going to believe an awful lot of nefarious things about sources of information that you might propose, but even if it's suggesting, you know, some of the things you, you did before about, you know, maybe turning down some of that social media uh, noise and, you know, seeking out a, a library or seeking out a a, a newspaper that, that writes from a different perspective. And it's weird today to be talking about newspapers as a more reflective, you know, slow, <laughs> you know, response to, to things. Famously, C.S. Lewis you know refused to take a newspaper because he thought that, uh, you know, if anything was really of value, it would show up in the books that he read eventually. Yeah right so he didn't want so what he would do with 24/7 you know cable news yep. in the first instance and then internet social media you know it's just like it's way beyond the pale of what he would have considered a good use of time so if we can encourage people to kind of step back you know go and go and read philosophy go and read literature and, and so forth there's a whole gamut of human you know endeavor it's the culture, the arts, philosophy, and everything. I mean, we should be the ones standing up for for that, which is all of which is going to give perspective. If you go and spend an afternoon in an art gallery, you're gonna have a better human perspective on the world than than if you'd spent the afternoon on Facebook. I mean, I, I do not doubt <laughs> that the truth of that
0: statement. There's uh there's a useful book called How to Have Impossible Conversations, a, a very practical guide. Um, and one of the, one of the things, one of the tools that they actually give you is when you're in conversations with people, um, about contentious topics, do not talk about facts,
1: Mm.
0: right? Do not talk about facts, uh, because the way that they, uh, the way the metaphor they use is when you start talking about facts, you both take out your guns and start shooting fact bullets at each other Mm -hmm. And, and the conversation is over, right? Uh, so yeah that that's a helpful tool. If you want to yeah uh, read the book it's called How to Have Impossible Conversations a very practical guide. Uh be warned it's by uh Peter Bogosian and James Lindsay. So they they are uh let's say evangelical atheists perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um one uh Peter Bogosian's book uh he has a book called A Manual for Creating Atheists and then James Lindsay has a book called Everybody is Wrong About God. So yeah just be warned I'm recommending <laughs> books by atheists, but uh, it's a useful book about how to actually have these very difficult conversations that we're finding are happening, at least in my life, more and more often.
1: Do you know, that's so telling that they are from that perspective, because you know, in a very weird way, they are our allies. And we should never be holding to our Christian faith in a way that we could not have conversations with people like that. And all along, even take out all the current stuff and everything, you've got rid of every conspiracy theory on earth suddenly. uh, It still should be possible for us to engage with people like that and to come to some fundamental agreement about the way human beings should live their lives, what kind of stance. They take about, you know, rational thinking and questioning and, and, and so forth. One of the things that has been that's put the church at a disadvantage in this period is how much the church has bought into uh, modernity and the Enlightenment and the idea that, you know, being a person of faith means to be so, you know, rationally certain about everything that we do and believe whereas that's not what faith is supposed to be about faith we've said before and we talked about a little bit um the whole notion of you know how the church was corrupted by uh, by modernity and so forth i mean faith is meant to be about trust and a loving relationship with God, not about being absolutely sure about everything at all times, right? And that, that taking that stance of, well, no, uh, to be a Christian means to be 100% at all times, believing rationally in a whole set of propositions, including the very existence of God himself, that only opens us up to a kind of negative relationship with the people who would, you know, argue the opposite, right? And then you are, as you say, in this kind of fact, you know, bullet hailstorm, which nobody wins from. I think we have a lot more common purpose, you know, with everybody, every other human being, if we can sort of say, you know what, life is about uncertainty. You're never going to find a plausible answer to every problem out there, an explanation for everything. That's the project and the telos of modernity it said that everything in the world has a a solution and that solution is called progress and we'll make you know headway on that if we do enough rational thinking we'll work it all out we'll solve every problem whether it's hunger or disease or death itself there will be uh, progress we'll solve all of that whereas the christian faith you know isn't about that. It's about saying, amidst human life, with all of its complexity, with all of its mystery, with all of its you know, suffering and so forth, there is a faithful way to live. There's a way to live for God, for the other, in self-sacrificial love, which leads to the good. The good is not certainty. The good is a faithful way of, of living amidst uncertainty. And so, you know, we if we had that stance, we would be in a so much better place to engage with the kinds of people, you, you know, you're talking about, about saying, you know, we need to have this skeptical approach to rational reality, right? We are not capable of understanding it all. In fact, part of the problem of conspiracy theories is to buy in at the utmost level to everything having an explanation, I can't make sense of this, a pandemic, a global economic collapse, you know, the the struggles that come from mass migrations of people or whatever. Uh, And so I'm going to find an explanation for it in a very simplistic, you know, model. And that model is there must be a cabal of people running the whole show, or this has been, you know, deliberately set upon us for this nefarious end or whatever. It's always about grasping a simplistic explanation for massive processes of, of human history and sociology that can't be reduced to that. And so Christianity was supposed to be about living in and through that kind of uncertainty. And instead, we've made it into almost a conspiracy itself. Well, here's your very simple explanation for everything believe this and and everything will go right and so we've we've corrupted christianity into that and therefore you know put it amidst all the other conspiracies in a way and so we need to get rescue our christian faith from conspiracy theory, make it instead what it's meant to be about living faithfully, trustingly in the loving creator of the universe who will eventually put all to rights. Everything you see that confuses you, that alienates you, that that dismays you will be solved. Every tear wiped from every face. And that is what we live for, towards that, and not for making sense of it all here and now in some sort of sociopolitical way or based on some, you know, f- theory with our own facts that we've gathered or, or whatever. So, yeah, I would say we have allies <laughs> amidst the, you know, the the kind of rational atheist, you know, population because, you know, they are... Pro, they are, they've, they've primed themselves to be skeptical of these simplistic theories, right? And so we should have been with them all along on that score, right? We don't agree, obviously, about the existence of God with them or the, the non-existence of God with the, in terms of their view. But nevertheless, we can share the same skepticism that there are simplistic, rational, progress-based answers to every problem that's out there.
0: You've just finished listening to another public episode of Enacting the Kingdom. If you're getting value from this podcast and you'd like to support the show, you can head over to pryingpriest.com to become a patron. Also, five-star ratings with written reviews go a long way to getting the word out there about this show. Also, since Enacting the Kingdom is social media free, any word-of-mouth recommendations you can make to your friends and family would be greatly appreciated. We'll see you next time.